0: Welcome Bob Knight, and he might fall flat on his face, but uh, he's among good people. So, Bob, you come on up here, and we want to welcome you to North Carolina. Hi, I'm Bob, and I'm now a colleague. And it's a real privilege to be here tonight. I'd like to thank the uh, committee and uh, whoever got me over here. It's... uh, it's really, uh, really something, it's a beautiful state. And, uh, you know, from, uh, from where I come from uh, to be here, it's just a flat miracle, you know. Uh, before I get into my talk, there is one thing I'd like to find out.
1: <laughs>
0: Dave didn't know the answer to it, and I've got a few uh, answers, and I'm sure that uh, we can all come up uh, with the right thing. Uh, I don't know if you ever notice these trees when you're driving up, but there's some, some that don't have any leaves on them, and there's like little nests down in the branches, and it looks, I don't know whether it's a spider or a cocoon or or what. Yeah, somebody said a squirrel, Dave, that's a new one. So. <laughs> somebody said it was a banana spider and uh, caterpillars, but uh, I'd appreciate if somebody would let me know after the meeting what they are. I'm sure I'll get a lot of different answers but, but anyway uh, like I say it's a real treat to be here and uh, I love Alcoholics Anonymous and uh, it's uh, my life today and it's my wife's life and uh, God has seen uh, for us to share this thing together and it just makes it real, real beautiful uh, my gratitude uh, there's no way to express it because uh, I'm just so full you know uh, I, uh, when I was a couple years sober, people used to, uh, ask me to share at their meeting or whatever, and, uh, the anxiety and the fear was so bad of getting up here that, uh, in front of people that uh, I found that it was easier to tell somebody on the telephone or in the back of a meeting that, uh, no, uh, I couldn't do it and give them a, you know, tell them a lie and give them an excuse, and, uh. Uh, What happened to me is my life kept getting better and better uh, since I've been in this program. And uh, uh, what I found is that uh, my life was getting better. I wasn't doing some of the things that I was supposed to do in this program. And I began to feel very guilty about it. And finally I went to my sponsor and I told him what I'd been doing. And he said, Bob, he said if you're asked to share in a meeting, he says you uh, get up and talk, you know. He said, if you don't do a good job, he said, the people won't ask you back, so you won't have to worry about speaking, (laughs) you know. And, uh, you know, sponsors seem to have all the right words, but what that did for me is it made me realize uh, that I do have a story to tell. Uh, We all have a story to tell. I'm not in competition with anybody in this program. Uh, All I'm asked to do is come and share in a general way what I was like, what happened, and what I'm like now. And, uh, I'd like to tell you that I uh, grew up with my mother and my brother in downtown Long Beach, California. Uh, My brother was about 10 years older than me. Uh, He was kind of like a father figure, uh, you know, rather than a brother, being the age difference. Uh, My mother was a drunk. Uh, My brother was a gambler. At an early age, uh, I swore that when I grew up, uh, I wasn't going to drink and I wasn't going to gamble. Uh, those were some of the things that I knew uh, I wouldn't do. Uh, And the reason I knew I wouldn't do those uh, things is because of the way we lived. We lived in an absolute dog-eat-dog situation. Uh, We lived in an apartment building right downtown Long Beach, a building that uh, there was prostitution going on in this building, Uh, there was homosexuality going on in this building, and uh, this is the environment that I grew up around. Uh, I went to school in the daytime, uh, usually, when I came home from school, I knew my mother wasn't going to be at home. My mother wasn't going to be there with uh, you know a nice homemade cake or something you know. Uh, uh, I knew where to find my mother. My mother was a drunk. Uh, my mother was down at the corner bar, you know that's where my mother was. Uh, I had a lot of thoughts as a kid of uh, uh, wanting things better and different. and I'm sure a lot of young kids uh, don't have these feelings, but, but I did. Uh, just the way I lived want, it made me want to have something better, you know. And I used to have a lot of thoughts. Uh, I used to have three newspaper routes, and I, I delivered these newspapers so I'd have uh, money. Uh, a lot of times, you know, my mother wasn't at home to cook dinner. A lot of times there was nobody at home to cook dinner. A lot of times there was nothing to eat. Uh, as a kid, I always felt... Uh, different uh, than other kids or other people I always uh, needed a haircut I always had holes in my jeans I always had stinky tennis shoes on and uh, you know that's just the way it was and it seemed like everybody else was was something or they they came from some decent place and uh, I didn't feel that way so as a kid uh, delivering these newspapers and stuff I used to just uh, think all the time that uh, you know I'd go collecting uh, The money for these newspaper routes at different people's house and uh, when I did I you know I could see in their house and got everything seemed so peaceful and nice and uh, these are the things I wanted I knew when I grew up I knew that when I grew up I was going to be a good man and I'd be a good father and a good husband and all of those decent things you know all of the rotten things that i seen going around going on you know in this apartment building uh uh, these prostitutes men would come all dressed up, and you know uh, I just assumed they were probably family men or something cheating on their wives and uh, It just seemed like every uh buddy had some kind of a a sell out point in life you know uh there was just no decency, and uh, I knew that things were going to be right when I grew up. uh I had one friend that I used to uh, go over to his house a lot uh after school I'd seem to go over there and uh, I'd usually hang around there, around dinner time, his mother would always say, Bob, would you like to have dinner with us, and I'd say, oh, I guess, you know, and, uh, it was nice, you know, I'd have dinner, uh, with my, uh, friend and his mother, and, uh, you know, there was, uh, nice things in this house, I mean, they weren't wealthy or anything, it was just, uh, they just had a little apartment, but everything was nice and clean, and my friend always had, uh, clean clothes, uh, they were always ironed and stuff, and, uh, you know, I mean, they would have green vegetables to eat, you know, on the dinner table and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, it was just a good feeling there. And I'd, uh, after dinner, I'd lay on the floor with my friend and we'd watch TV or whatever. And, uh, there was just something in that room. I, uh, there was love, there was caring in that room and it was something I didn't have at home. And, uh, I just, uh, would try to capture that feeling all I could, you know, uh, the time would come for me to go home, maybe 8 or 9 o'clock at night, and I'd get on my bicycle and ride through the alleys, and uh, the fear would grip me when I got home that uh, that uh, my mother would be there and she'd be drunk. And when my mother was uh, drunk, she was usually a violent person, and a lot of times she'd uh, bang me around or whatever. Or, or worse yet, you know, I'd go home and nobody would be there. And uh, that's when uh, the terror really set in because... Uh, Uh, As a kid, I spent many, many nights in this uh, apartment alone, and I'd hear footsteps out the door, and I used to get in bed and uh, just pray that I'd wake up the next day. I had an awful, awful lot of fear. A lot of times I'd stand behind the door with a butcher knife, and I just knew somebody was out there, and they were going to come in and get me. And uh, these are some of the feelings I had as a kid. And uh, as I got into my uh, early teen uh, years, I started dating different girls that... uh, Every girl that I'd go with, I was madly in love with. I thought, yeah, we're, I'm going to be with this girl, and we're gonna, I'm going to get out of this deal I'm in, you know. And uh, <clears throat> when I was uh, 15 years old, I was going with a girl that was 13, and uh, we were madly in love, and we uh, decided that uh, when I turned 16 and she turned 14, we were going to get on a bus and go to St. George, Utah, and get married. That was the closest place to go and get legally married at 16 and 14 years old. And uh, when we had our birthdays, we went to, we got on the bus and went to St. George, Utah, and we got married, and uh, I uh, quit school and got a job, and uh, we knew everything was going to be okay. I did, you know. I would go to work in the daytime, and my uh, wife would go over to her mother's house, and uh, we had this little apartment, and uh, I guess we were married about uh, 10, 11 months, and... Uh, you know, every day I'd go to work, and she'd go to her mother's. And uh, one day I went to work, and she went to her mother's house, and I haven't seen her to this day, you know. <laughs> and, uh... Now that I'm sober, and been sober a while, I kind of wonder why I never went to see why she never came home, you know. <laughs> now that I look back on it, it wasn't too bright then, you know. But, um, You know, uh... What happened to me is, uh... I ended up moving back with my mother and uh, uh, we got an annulment. Uh, uh, My brother had gotten married by this time and uh, I was working and I began to support my mother and and, uh, what I realized is all of those thoughts that I had as a kid of being, you know, being something in life, you know, being a decent human being, those things, didn't seem uh, as important, or they didn't seem as possible, and uh, I started running around with some of my school friends uh, that I hadn't run around with for a year or so. I'd been dating all these girls and been married before, so uh, uh, after I got this marriage, I started running around with my uh, the, the guys, you know, again. And uh, by this time, they were riding around in lowered cars, uh, uh, drinking and smoking marijuana and and taking uh, different kinds of pills and. Uh, You know, I was uh, real scared about that at first, but, uh, you know, when you're with your old friends and they tell you, oh, that it's all right, and, oh, you're not going to get hooked on this, and, you know, once you're with them a few nights and you see that it's uh, all right, you know, you join in with them. And uh, it was just a matter of time until uh, I was riding around with these guys, and, uh, uh, you know, my whole life uh, felt complete. I don't know how to describe it. Uh, It seemed like that... um, uh, I was with the guys that, uh, you know, that they were my friends. They were the only ones that seemed to care. Uh, I can describe uh, what alcohol did for me uh, real easy in just one situation of uh, telling you of uh, a time that I remember well of uh, riding down Pacific Coast Highway in Long Beach uh, in this Lord 55 Buick uh, with these four or five righteous friends and partners of mine. Uh, we were listening to the radio. Uh, We all either had a quarter beer or some wine in our lap. We were smoking marijuana. Everything was just, you know, uh, however they made marijuana to be at its best or made Benzedrine to be at its best, uh, it was working that 100% for me that night. And I can remember being at a stoplight, uh, waiting for the stop sign, the music gone, and all of this stuff just working that 100%, (laughs) looking over at the car next to me at these people in this car and thinking, man, these idiots don't know what we got in this car. And I thought, you know, I hope when we're 40 or 50 years old that we can all stay together and just keep doing this, you
1: know.
0: (laughs) And that's what alcohol did for me. Um, Not only uh, did alcohol do that for me, but the longer I remained uh, around these friends of mine, uh, I found out that, uh, you know, their acceptance was... It was replacing the love that I never got before when I was a kid. And, uh, you know, for them to say, hey, Bob, you're okay, it meant everything to me. You know, if we were to go get in a fight with somebody, if I'd run and hit the biggest guy and try to beat up the biggest guy, or if we go steal something, I'd try to steal the biggest or the best, and they'd say, gee, did you see what Bob did, you know? And and it just meant a lot to me to get this, uh, you know, to get this acknowledgement, you know. And uh, it meant everything to me. And all of the things that I ever wanted to be or ever wanted to do, they just slowly started dwindling away. And I quit being Bob, and I started being somebody else without not even knowing it, you know. Whatever I thought you wanted me to do or be, uh, that's what I uh, did.
1: Uh, I uh,
0: ran around with these guys uh, for just a short period of time, really, in 1959, uh, I was arrested for the first time, and uh, I was 18, 19 years old, I guess, uh, and uh, I had never been arrested as a juvenile because I knew my mother was a drunk. Uh, when I was a kid and lived at home, I knew not to get in trouble, because I knew my mother was a drunk, and I thought, you know, what does a drunk woman want with a kid? I knew if I ever went to juvenile hall that I would have had to stay there. and. Uh, you know, the first time I was arrested was in 1959. I was arrested with my friends. Uh, we made the headlines of the newspaper in Long Beach. It said, Narcotic Agents NAB 4. Uh, it sounded like a big uh, big arrest. I shot one of my friends in the back with a 357 Magnum. And, uh, you know, as it turned out, uh, all we had was two marijuana cigarettes, you know. Uh, the laws have changed quite a bit since then. But, uh, you know, um, my friends had been arrested before. and. Uh, uh, it was my first time being arrested, and after we went through all the court uh, stuff, uh, my friends were ended up uh, being sent to prison. They had been arrested for this offense before. And uh, my first time, I was given three years probation. And with my friends gone and uh, being so scared about them going away to prison, uh, it really scared me. You know, I didn't want to be locked up, and I didn't want any part of it. And, And I really straightened up my act, and I got a job at General Motors in uh, Southgate, uh, not far from Long Beach. And, uh, (coughs) pardon me. And uh, I started running around with a guy that was just kind of on a health kick. He was a prize fighter, and we just kind of worked out, and uh, we dated a lot of girls. And uh, one night I was home at my mother's house, and uh, uh, there alone with my mother, and somebody knocked on the door, and. Uh, it was Gloria here and she had been a girl that uh, I had known since we were 11 years old and uh, she had been one of the first girls that I had dated and she'd always been kind of like a childhood sweetheart to me you know Uh, she came in that night and she said that she had just split up from her husband and uh, she heard that I was uh, single and uh, she said you know and we anyway we came and uh, I mean we sat in the house there and we talked for maybe 30, 40 minutes or an hour that night and just laughed and talked. And uh, we ended up uh, deciding to go out and take a ride. And uh, we got in my car and we started taking a ride and uh, uh, she said, let's get something to drink or I did. I don't remember, but uh, as it turned out, we started drinking and I think she had some drugs and uh, we ended up doing this night after night. And uh, uh, we did this for quite a while and I uh, found myself just absolutely uh, happy in life. I had the girl that I always wanted to be with in my life. Uh, I had alcohol uh again working in my life and uh, you know I had this decent job and uh, you know we'd stay up late at night and a lot of times I'd run to work. I'd be in a, a sport coat or whatever I had on. You know all the guys would be coming in on their with their coveralls on to work on the assembly line and I was had been up all night and uh, you know that didn't last long before uh I found myself, she got a little apartment, and I'd find myself over there waking up in the morning, maybe it was 8 o'clock, and I was supposed to be to work at 7 o'clock, you know, and it was just real easy to give up the job, you know, for, uh, for everything. <laughs> there was no decision, you know, so uh, anyway, uh, we went together for about five months, and uh, we used to ride around the car, and uh, both of us would be drinking, and uh we'd We'd talk about how neat it was that we were just friends and how neat it was that we had both been married before, and neither one of us would ever make that mistake again you know and uh one uh one week we'd been up taking benzedrine and uh drinking and just on a real run for several several days and uh, uh we hadn't slept for days and it must have been four or five o'clock one morning and uh uh, just out of desperation, we decided, uh, you know, we didn't have anything to drink or take, and, uh, that's when we decided we'd get married, you know, <laughs> and, uh, by this time, I didn't have a job, and, uh, of course, I've never had anything of value, you know, but, uh, I did work for a man one time, and, uh, he left me in his will. He left me his fishing pole. He had a beautiful,
1: <laughs> beautiful fishing
0: pole, and the whole works, and, uh, and he left this to me in his will, and it was the only thing I had of value, so uh, I hawked it for the money for our marriage license, you know, and blood tests and all that, and uh, this is how we got married. And uh, anyway, uh, we got enough money together for a place to live, and uh, I can remember a lot of my friends were coming in and out of jail, and, uh, and uh, we had a real good party one night. It might have been within the first few days we were married, and everybody was celebrating our marriage. And... Uh, we had all there was uh, that we wanted to drink and all the drugs we wanted to take and uh, you know the music was going good i was there with all my best friends and and uh, feeling as like a man and being responsible i thought you know i'm going to discipline myself enough to leave this good party and go out and pull a burglary so i can get our rent money you know <laughs> and uh, you know it sounds silly but that's uh, the way i was thinking and it's the only way i ever thought and uh, I left that party and uh, went out and I borrowed one of my friend's car and went out and uh, pulled a burglary uh, that night to get our rent money and uh, and uh, basically that's just about the way we lived till we got to Alcoholics Anonymous because uh, several times I tried to go to work uh, to be a family man or whatever. and. Uh, Uh, My wife and I partied so much together, and we just had so much fun. It was just so hard to break it off, you know. Uh, It was rough, you know, for me to go to work. I I meant well, and I'd try to go to work, and it was hard for me to get there because uh, I'd have to leave all the fun. And then uh, my wife started telling me she didn't want me to work, you know, and that made it real easy, and so I didn't work. I never worked, and we lived any way we could uh, just to, to make it, you know. We moved a lot because we never paid rent. We'd always, uh, her family had uh, a little bit of money, and uh, we'd go down there and get money from them uh, uh, to maybe move in a place or whatever, and we stayed there and lived as long as we could until we were evicted, you know. Uh, My wife had a child from this other marriage. Uh, He was just uh, not even one year old when we got married, and, uh, you know, we had this child, and along the way we had two more children of our own, and, uh, like I say, I very seldom worked. Uh, we, uh, when I did work, I would usually work long enough to, uh, to get uh, some kind of a back injury or something where I could get disability or try to sue somebody or, you know, just any kind of an easy touch, you know. Uh, uh, we've lived on welfare, uh, you know, many, many times. Uh, I've had the gas and electricity men mad at me many, many times. They'd turn electricity off, and as soon as they leave, I'd turn it back on. And, and, uh, you know, we lived this way for a long time. And uh, the only thing that was important in our life, uh, those children weren't important. I can be perfectly honest. Uh, They weren't important in my life. Uh, The only thing that I cared about was uh, getting out there on Friday or Saturday night and drinking, you know and uh, a lot of times we didn't have the money to to uh, get in there and and start drinking or whatever but uh, you know a lot of times i'd collect coke bottles on friday just enough where we could get over there maybe set my wife up at the bar so she could uh she could sit there and i'd stand over by the pool table and you know eight nine o'clock at night the music would get going and people would start buying her a drink and then she'd send me one of her extra beers and then i'd take challenge on the pool table for a dollar hoping that i'd win because i didn't have money to pay if i lost and uh, you know if you lose then i'd have to just try to get the money from somebody but uh, we lived this way for years and uh, we'd stay in these bars uh at night uh way up to 1 2 o'clock at night and uh, tell people yell out in the bar you know hey go get a six pack go get a fifth of whiskey and bring it over to our house we're going to have a poker game you know and uh we used to play poker. I always played out of the bank. I sold chips to everybody. I never had money to uh, buy my own chips. And, you know, it's just another chance you take. You know, when you're living on the edge like that, you just take those chances, you know. And a lot of times you end up out in the backyard. where well, that's the worst that can happen is a guy wants to beat you up and you just go outside with him, you know. And that just was part of the deal, you know. <laughs> and a lot of times you could bluff him out of that, you know. And, uh, uh, but this is the way we lived. And I started going, uh, I found that I was uh, doing things that uh, that I used to do when I was with these friends. these weird things that I would do to impress these uh, friends I found myself doing when there was nobody around you know doing a lot of weird things. I uh, started going to jail uh, for five days and ten days at a time uh, maybe for stealing hamburgers I've been arrested for stealing hamburgers I've also been arrested for stealing shrimp dinner too that was another that was a different arrest. Uh, these are all defrauding an innkeeper is what they call it I've been arrested for stealing gas you know uh, that's I had uh, three or four of my friends in a car one night and I was going to show them how big I was and I drove in and told the guy to check the air and the gas fill it up oil everything and then I just slowly drove away laughing well about two miles down the road the police pulled me over and yanked me out of the car you know so that kind of backfired on me but uh, these are the things I did and I found myself doing later when I wasn't even with my friends and uh, you know, I started going to jail, and this is where the pain started coming in, because uh, once I got to jail for that five days or that ten days, I'd remember that, you know, uh, we were just running so wild out there that uh, when I'd get in jail, I'd finally get sober, you know, and I'd realize that maybe we had spent the welfare check, and maybe my wife was out there with the kids, and they didn't have anything to drink, I mean, anything to eat or anything, and, uh, you know, I'd feel bad about it, and And I'd make these little vows to myself that when I come out, uh, that, hey, I'm going to quit hanging around with Joe Blow, and I'm not going to drink. And I knew at an early age that I was an alcoholic. I always knew that. I thought it was kind of a game and neat thing, you know. I just thought it meant that I was this kind of game for anything, you know. And uh, I just played it to the hill. Uh, Anyway, I started going to jail for these periods of time, and when I'd get out, I'd I'd get the job, and I'd... uh, get my family back together, and I would try to get things uh, going good. Maybe I'd buy a little car and get the furniture and all this stuff, and, uh, you know, it was just a matter of time. It might have been one <laughs> month, two months, three months, or whatever, uh, but it was just a matter of time until one of my old friends, uh, maybe the nicest guy of the bunch, whether it was his wife or girlfriend, would come over and maybe uh, bring a six-pack of beer and just drink beer in front of us, or maybe they'd come over and just smoke marijuana or whatever it was. But Uh, or, or, you know, but it was just a matter of time until, uh, uh, you know, maybe he'd talk to me and say, hey, well, you shouldn't, you just get out of hand, Bob. You shouldn't drink so much. You know, just have a beer now and then or just do that. See, now, I might not have joined in with him that night, but it was just a matter of time until I did because uh, I was a very uh, uh, uptight person. Uh, I was, uh, when I worked, I was always a good worker. Uh, People always liked me when I was sober. Uh, when I drank, I was just uh, just like it talks about in the book, The Doctor Jekyll and Hyde. I became a monster. It was almost like my face changed it, it was just it was just unreal. Uh, I became just a complete animal. Uh, I would stay sober for as long as I could uh, uh, during these periods and uh, once I started drinking, I was completely out of control, and I knew it and I began uh, living a cycle like this that once I started drinking. Uh, My cycle, I kept continued drinking and taking anything I could, whether it be cough syrup or heroin or anything. As long as it was free, I took it, uh, until I found myself back in the Los Angeles County Jail. Uh, I started, uh, uh, like I say, I've been in and out of jail many, many times. Uh, I started running around. uh, One time my wife had left me, and uh, I was living in just a little old wino room. And uh, I started running around with some guys that just got out of San Quentin that I used to go to school with. They were, and uh, they were heroin addicts. And I started running around with them, and I didn't use any heroin, but uh, uh, they wanted to get a gun to pull robberies and all this stuff. And uh, I tell them, you know, this is where you guys are such fools. You know, you always end up in prison and everything. I say, you want to pull a robbery, you know, just don't use a gun, you know. And uh, as it turned out, I started uh, uh, pulling these robberies. I uh, did, my first caper was... Uh, about two blocks from my house on a beautiful Saturday afternoon, about two o'clock, I went into a liquor store and uh, robbed him with a simulated gun, just pretended like I had a gun in my pocket or something. I ran out of that place, and, uh, you know, at that time in my life, uh, now that I remember it, though, I just, you know, I was at the end of the line. Life was all over for me. I was probably, uh, I don't know how old I was, uh, maybe 25 years old or whatever, but, uh, I thought I was an old man and life was finished, and, uh, I used to hope that somebody would just shoot me when I ran out of one of these places, but I, uh, robbed that place and went home, uh, and changed my clothes and went down to the bar and gave the money away to a barmaid, you know. Uh, that's the kind of things I did, and I ended up, uh, pulling, uh, two more robberies. I robbed a supermarket with all the people in the lines, and I did that, and, uh, and I robbed a drugstore, and uh, here we all wanted a bunch of drugs and stuff. And I didn't even realize that I'd robbed this drugstore. And we got home. I had about sixty dollars, and I didn't realize that I had the pharmacist up against the pill rack. We could have took all the drugs we wanted. You know, we didn't even take anything. You know, but uh, these are the kind of things I did. And I was arrested, and uh, when I robbed the supermarket, and uh, I knew that it was all over, and I was going to go to prison. And uh, it, it was just such a relief. I can remember just bawling like a baby and uh, you know i knew that i wouldn't have to worry anymore you know it was all over uh it was just a total absolute nightmare the way i was living uh just uh, it was just bad you know there was no way i had any control over my life uh, well, when i was drinking um, anyway i was sentenced to um, uh, as it turned out, I pleaded guilty to a second-degree robbery, and they dropped the other robberies. I, I told them about it, and I was given one year in the county, Los Angeles County Jail. And uh, I was sent to a road camp, and, uh, you know, I was in that road camp uh, for a year. And when I came out, uh, you know, I was terrified. I was scared to death to come out because uh, uh, I knew that if I ran into any of my friends, if I drank again... Uh, that I deserve to be locked up, you know. And uh, the time came for me to get uh, released out of this jail, and I was released, and uh, I went and I stayed at my mother's house for two days. I was so terrified to go out on the streets. Uh, my wife, uh, when I went to jail, my wife and I never communicated. It was easier for both of us that way. And uh, at this time, my mother had had my children, and uh, when I got out of jail, I went to my mother's. My kids were there. I stayed in there for a couple days, and finally... Uh, couple of my old friends came by and they said, Hey, Bob, we heard you got out of jail. And, you know, I sat there and talked to those guys for a while. And, and, you know, after just a short period of time, it seemed like I'd kind of forgot all the all the little things that the, that were in my mind in jail. You know, I went out with those guys that night and I started drinking beer. Uh, we went to some after hours place. I started taking benzedrine again to stay up all night. And uh, by the end of mor- in the morning, uh, I had taken some LSD, and I'd never even taken that before. But it just shows you the insanity of our disease, you know, just absolute crazy. It doesn't do any uh, good to lock somebody up and have all the pain of being away from your life, or your wife, or your loved ones, or any of that. It's just, uh, you know, it just, there's just, uh, it just doesn't, you know, the top and the bottom, it doesn't come together, your guts and your head, you know. And it was uh, when I had to drink, I drank. And uh, uh, I lived that way for a long time. Anyway, to make a long story short, the last five years of my drinking, I was in Los Angeles County Jail. Almost three years of that time. The other two years, uh, my wife and I lived in, on uh, uh, Skid Row in various towns uh, all the way up the uh, California coast through Oregon. And, uh, and uh, we lived in rescue missions, Salvation Armies. Uh, we did uh, whatever we had to do to drink Uh, we were in Long Beach one day and I had been out of jail for a short period of time and I I had gotten back with my wife and uh, one weekend I had taken off and was out drinking and my wife uh, uh, decided that uh, she told my mother to watch our children and that she would go get me and bring me home and that everything would be okay and as it turned out when my wife found me we started drinking and uh, Uh, We were in a bar or something, and somebody said the police were looking for us, and it was just all too easy, and we just uh, thought that we had to leave town, and we ended up uh, going down and uh, leaving town with two cardboard boxes, and that was it. Uh, As it turned out, we didn't go back. uh, My uh, mother was watching our kids for the weekend, and it was two years before we came back for those kids, you know. I know what it is to be an alcoholic, and just to, uh, to sell your soul is what it amounts to. I know what it is to just feel as low as human being as you can uh, feel. I know what it's like to have uh, your best friends, a relative, whatever, get that eye contact and say, hey, you stole something from me, and just either look at them and lie or say, so what, you know. Uh, I know what it feels to feel like that. Uh, Those are the feelings that got me to Alcoholics Anonymous. Those are the things that got me to where I'm at today. I'm glad that everything I did uh, all of the things I had to do, I'm glad I did them uh, because, uh, you know, it makes my life real simple. When I got to Alcoholics Anonymous, I was surrendered. I uh, We ended up uh, living on rescue missions and Salvation Armies, and uh, we went all the way, and finally we came back to Long Beach, and uh, uh, we uh, lived in a little Wino Motel over in the worst part of Long Beach, and uh, my wife and I being on the road, uh, I had learned how to be a cook, and she was a waitress. She had learned how to be a waitress, and uh, it was easy to get off of buses and go get a cook job and ask him for a draw, and that way he had some way to live, and uh, that's what we had uh, ended up uh, being, is a cook and a waitress, and as it turned out, uh, we both had a job at this uh, same little place. Uh, It was on a Uh, One day on our day off, we were in this little wino motel room. Uh, My mother still had our kids, and uh, I had already been over to the liquor store and got a six-pack of beer and a a pint of whiskey, and I was sitting on the bed when my wife woke up. Uh, uh, I told her, you know, I said, it's uh, getting close to Christmas. I said, said, tomorrow, let's quit drinking, and uh, we'll start saving some money, and at least we can buy our kids a Christmas present. And uh, that was uh, uh, November 6, 1970. Uh, that day, we ended up going to another town and uh, uh, taking all kinds of pills and shooting heroin. And, uh, we came back late that night, and my wife was passed out in uh, my lap. And uh, I was driving this car, and I made a left-hand turn and ran into a telephone pole. And the police came, and they took me to jail that night. They let my wife walk away. And uh, that was the last drink I've ever had. And uh, that's, you know, been over 15 years ago. Uh, I was in in jail. My wife couldn't bail me out of jail. They had a hold on me for a burglary. Uh, We knew the police were looking for us, and uh, they were. When I got in there for this drunk, there was no way I could get out. And uh, I ended up uh, going back to court, and uh, um, I ended up getting uh, six months uh, which was uh, really, a, really a miracle to just get that little bit of time. But, you know, while I was awaiting trial in the uh, old Los Angeles County Jail, uh, which is just a, a rotten, rotten place, I had been in there for maybe a hundred days or something in this dark place. And uh, uh, one night I was laying on the floor on a mattress, and uh, the man in the next cell to me was laying on the floor on his mattress, and... Uh, He yelled out, and they turned on the lights, and they came and took this uh, man away on a gurney, and somebody said he got bit in the head by a rat. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, but uh, that night I laid there, and I could see my whole life for what it really was. I was 29 years old. I thought I was on my way to prison. Uh, You know, I didn't know where my wife was. Didn't know whether I'd ever see my kids again. My life was over. I was at a total point of despair in my life, and I thought, you know, if I could be like the dumbest person on earth, I would better be better off than being Bob. I always thought I was so smart, such as, you know, such a recovery artist to come out and just get things. I used to get out of jail and get everything together and just, you know, just kind of running everything. And uh, that night, I knew that uh, uh, the episode of the me was in good that night I was able to see myself and my life for what it really was and I wanted to be any other person than me and you know uh I had a thought that night I thought you know uh just give me another shot at life you know just give me I didn't know what it was I just had a a real uh, desire for something else and uh, a man from the probation department came and interviewed me and uh, he uh uh you know they were going to find out whether they were going to send me to prison or give me probation or whatever and uh i told this man that i was an alcoholic and that if i was given probation that i would go to alcoholics anonymous i had went to alcoholics anonymous one time uh uh quite a few years before this and uh i went there i had some kind of a drunk driving or whatever and uh, the seed was planted i went to meetings and uh, for a few months my wife and i both did and uh, I know I used to take Valium when I went to the meetings. I was, I'd be nervous, and I'd say they might call on me to talk or something, you know. I'd always talk a couple of Valium, you know. Or we, yeah, we even smoked marijuana, you know. I thought I was sober smoking marijuana, you know. I see people come to Alcoholics Anonymous now. I'm not saying whether you can or can't, but I know that I'm sober if I'm sober, you know. If I'm smoking something or taking something, I'm not sober, you know. I know that, and I'm glad I know that, you know, for me. Uh, Anyway, the seed was planted, and I knew about Alcoholics Anonymous. And when I got back to my cell, I heard myself telling this man that. And I thought, you know, I've been arrested for a lot of things, robberies, burglaries, and uh, a lot of drunk drivings, all the things. And I thought, you know, uh, none of those things are really me. But the, the thing that was really me is I knew, without a doubt, that I was an alcoholic. I knew I needed help, and I was willing to do something about it. I thought, whatever it takes to do it, I'm going to do it. And as it turned out, I was uh, given this six months, and I was sent back to the same road camp that I was a cook in five years before. I was a cook and a baker. And I ended up back there with my same job five years later. Nothing had happened in my life in between that five years except just pure living hell. And here I was again. Uh, I started going to Alcoholics Anonymous meetings there, and... uh, Uh, I would tell the outside people that would come in my situation, I'd tell them this and that, and they'd say, "Uh, Bob, if you want to be sober more than anything in your life, that's all that counts. And, uh, you know, it even says in the big book that if you have an honest desire to to stay, uh, to not drink, that's all that's important. Well, you know, when I came here to this program, I didn't even know if I had an honest desire to quit drinking. My life was so bad that if you had told me to go out two hours a day and shovel crap or something, if it would have made it better, I would have did it. And when I started going to Alcoholics Anonymous and talking to the people that were coming in, and when I really believed them that they said your life will get better, it was the easiest deal going. I just started doing it, and I believed it. And I started reading a big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. I would lay in my bed and read it, and I started reading the 12 and 12. And... Uh, you know, the time came, like I said, I never communicated with my wife. I got a letter from my wife, and, uh, you know, in the meantime, my wife had been arrested. Uh, she uh been arrested for robberies herself, and uh, she had been addicted to heroin, and just a lot of things that I had heard when I was in jail, and I thought, my God, I'm going to have to let her go. And like I say, the only thing I ever really uh, cared about, and it was probably just a selfish thing, is that my love for my wife has always been so strong that, uh, you know, uh, you know I just uh, just really loved her. And, and I knew that I was going to have to let her go uh, to find another way of life. And, uh, you know, when I heard all the things she was doing, I realized even more so that I was going to have to let her go. And uh, anyway, I got a letter from my wife, and uh, she told me that she had uh, had hepatitis and she was in this hospital. and. And she almost died, and she had had a lot of liver problems before, and uh, one day I was serving food in the mess hall, and uh, I just broke down and started crying, and I thought, my God, you know, uh, how did this all happen? Uh, how did my life end up like this? I just you know I just wanted uh, to be just a nice guy living out in suburbia somewhere and with a job and a family and kids. and uh, here I am in jail. my wife's dying somewhere, my kids are somewhere else and everything just seemed like a nightmare. And, uh, you know, I, I cried, uh, that day and, uh, you know, uh, it was just a heavy thing. But anyway, I started communicating with my wife and she wrote back and said she was getting better in this hospital and that, uh, she met a, a guy in a hospital that took her to an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting. And when she got in there, she met this other little old man. And, uh, it was time for her to get out of this hospital, and she knew she was going to have to go back out on the streets again. She had nowhere to go, and this little uh, man says, Hey, I know a place where you can go. It's a woman's recovery house. And she had never heard of anything like that before. And uh, so, anyway, she ended up going to this woman's recovery house, and she wrote and told me. Uh, uh, that she had been going to Alcoholics Anonymous meetings, and I says, "You're kidding." And I wrote back and I said, "Hell, I've been a member of AA for a long time. You know, <laughs> I wanted her, I wanted her to know that I had more time. You know, <laughs> still do it, too."
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: I know I'm running a little bit long here, but I got a lot to tell you uh it's a flat miracle we uh time come for me to get released from jail and uh, i always knew where i was going what i was going to do wasn't going to hang around with joe blow and i can tell you the last time that i was released from jail i've been sober from that point to this point hadn't been necessary for me to take anything a guy that had to get up in the morning and have something to drink and every minute you know I uh, just had to have something all the time. was just totally obsessed. Uh, you talk about obsessions, I had them all. You know, I was just full of self, self, self. Everything was for me, didn't care who I hurt. Uh, I came out of that jail, and I just, uh... I took a bus down to Long Beach, and I went to this woman's recovery house where my wife was. I didn't know whether we were going to be together or what. Uh, like I say, I've always had a love for my wife that's just been so strong, uh, so heavy that... Uh, you know, we're two alcoholics, and uh, we've done everything to hurt each other that was humanly possible, and, and you know, we were both aware of this, and, uh, you know, but the love was there, and, and I cared about her, and I was just happy that my wife was alive, just happy that she was still alive and that I could see her one more time. And I went down this recovery house, and I knocked on the door, and the lady asked me to step in, I told her who I was, and she said, I'll get Gloria for you, in. I stood there, and it seemed like quite a while. And my wife come walking through the door. And we'd been married ten years. And uh, you know, I looked at her, and she was sober, and I was standing there sober. And and we began to talk. Uh, any other time when we met and had eye contact, we'd usually, you know, beat somebody for some money and take off. And it wasn't like that anymore. That day we. Uh, stood there, and we started talking, and she said she really liked it in this house, and I said, hey, I think that's real neat. She said, I want to stay here, and I said, I think you should, and uh, after I said that, it seemed like uh, everything just opened up, and, uh, you know, she asked me uh, if I'd like to come and have dinner with these girls uh, uh, that night in the house there and go to a meeting with them, and I said, I sure would, and I went over to my mother's house and just uh, left whatever I had there, clothes, and came back and uh started riding the meetings uh, with these my wife and these girls in this car and uh it was just the beginning of a brand new life, you know. It's just where it all started. And I remember riding on freeways, going to meetings, uh, out of town somewhere and, you know, wondering, you know, what's it all about? What's gonna happen in life and not knowing but leaving myself open, you know. And as time went on I'd go to meetings and uh, I didn't have a job or anything, and uh, I would start getting kind of panicked about it, and some of the old-timers would say, hey, don't worry about going to work. You just come to the meetings. I go, gee, that doesn't sound right, you know, but I did it, and uh, I went down, and I got welfare, and I got enough money uh, from them to uh, get a place to live, and this had been a, uh, a few weeks. I got a job as a cook, and I started riding the bus to work, and uh, my wife and I, we decided we'd get back together. We had this little apartment right across the alley from this house of hope, this woman's recovery house where where my wife had been staying. And I'd go to work in the daytime and she'd go over and be with these girls and it it just worked out beautiful. And uh, you know, uh, after a while, uh, after about two months uh, our life was just, you know, kind of opening up. Uh, You know, we were married 10 years and we didn't have a knife or a fork or a blanket or a sheet nothing. We didn't have our kids. They were still at my mother's house, so we were incapable of taking care of any children. Uh, I remember when we bought our first coffee pot, when we got uh, our first blanket and it had flowers on it, you know, uh, things like that. It just meant so much. And people would call up and they were concerned uh, how we were doing. And uh, finally. After I'd been working a while, we decided we'd get a telephone, and it was $4.85 a month. And I tell her, well, wouldn't have it this month, but I know we'll never be able to pay for it again, you know. And uh, we've had a phone ever since, you know. But uh, uh, we laid on that bed, in that little, we had a pull-down bed in this room, and uh, I can remember my wife and I talking about this program, and the miracles of this program, and how it works in our lives, and we were just new but we knew that everything was going to be okay, you know. Uh, my wife had a court appearance, and uh, uh, she had to go back to court uh, for these robberies and stuff. She had been hanging around all these people, and uh, uh, she had uh, she was on probation, and if she was ever in any trouble again, she was supposed to go to jail for a year. And the time for us uh, came for her to go down to that courthouse, and uh, uh, we went down there, and, uh, you know, I thought, well, I suppose she's going to go to jail now. And uh, we went in the courtroom, and I sat down. My wife stood up in front of the judge, and he looked over a lot of papers, and he said, you know, he says, I've got a lot of letters here from People in Alcoholics Anonymous. And he says, it appears that you have had some kind of change in your life. And he says, I'm going to give you one more chance. And that day, my wife and I ran out of that courtroom and down Ocean Boulevard in Long Beach like two little kids, knowing that everything was going to be all right. And I've been sober over 15 years now, and everything has been all right. We've never had any more trouble. Uh, you know, we've—I've uh, applied the uh, steps in my life, and, and known when I did them. When I took my fifth step, and fourth step, and sixth and seventh, that I just never had to be that person that I was anymore, and, and I've never had to be. It's never been necessary to be the animal or the the person or human being that I was, and. Uh, I believe that within my heart and I've tried to be the best person that I could be. I've tried to uh, to just be Bob and when I really get back to looking at it, I've always just tried to be the person that I always wanted to be when I was younger, you know. I can just be me and I can let people see me for for me and they're liking me, you know. And it's a good feeling not to keep those images up. Uh, my uh, when we were, uh, one day when I was 11 months sober, uh, I looked out the window and I saw a man and a woman going to church. And it was a beautiful Sunday morning, about 11 o'clock. And uh, they were all dressed up, and the man had on a gray suit, and the lady had on a pretty dress. And I looked at those people and I thought, you know, I'm sick and tired of being good. And right after I had that thought, I thought, no, wait a minute, I haven't been living the way the structure of religion or society wants me to live. I've been living by the way that I found in Alcoholics Anonymous, this little uh, meter in my gut, you know. If I tell you I'm, if I nickel and dime compromise with you or something, I know it. You know, this little meter says, oh, or somebody says, how you doing, and you say, okay, and then you think, why would I tell them that? I'm not okay, you know. That I, I realized that God was within me. This little meter is God. We all have it in us, you know. And it made it so simple for me. It's worked up to this point for me. I was always very confused about God before. I thought I had to do everything in life. Now I go by this meter inside. If it's not the right thing to do, if I'm gonna lie to somebody, and uh, this little meter says, oh, don't lie, I don't do it, you know. And uh, it it works. when I, was almost, uh, when I was one year sober, my uh, mother, uh, she uh, had been sober about three months. Just from the example of my wife and I being sober, uh, she quit drinking. She didn't come to any meetings. But uh, when I was one year sober, she came to Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, she came just for my birthday. And uh, when she's seen what she's seen there, she said she wanted to become a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, my mom was a real drunk, you know. She came and she got a hold of this program. And she asked my, my wife to be her sponsor. And uh, they'd ride around in the car in the daytime spending money, buying new curtains and <laughs> wash machines and stuff like this. And it just was a beautiful thing, you know. My mother was sober for a few years and uh, she uh, started getting real nervous. And she was afraid to share at the meetings and she'd say, Bob, I'm just so nervous. She says, I'm going to have to go to a doctor. And I said, God, don't go to a doctor. I said, if you go to the doctor, I said, all they're going to do is give you pills. And she said, Bob, you're the one that had the problem with the pills. She says, I've never taken any pills. And I said, well, you better tell him you're an alcoholic if you go to a doctor. And as it turned out, she went to the doctor and she didn't tell him anything. And they started giving her Librium and then Valium. And then pretty soon she was on Stelazine and Thorazine and she never did drink. Then one day uh, I went over there, maybe it was a year later, and I went to my mother's on Saturday to see her whatever, and uh, she was just in there like she was crazy. She said, Turn the TV off, Bob. I said, The TV isn't on. And I looked at her, and I realized that she had lost her mind. And I went back home, and I was just crying. And I told, told Gloria, I said, My God, I said, My mother's lost her mind. And it was a real sad thing. We had to take my mother to a hospital and to a psychiatric ward. And, I told them that she was an alcoholic, she'd been taking these pills, and all I did was took her off those pills and gave her some different pills, you know, and uh, she never got any word, any better, and we thought we were going to have to take her to Camarillo or something for the rest of her life, and it was just a very, very sad thing to know that somebody could, uh, you know, uh, could find a way to quit drinking and then have something like this happen in their life, and uh, anyway, uh, it was just at a point where we were going to have to do something. She was going to have to go somewhere because she'd been at this hospital for a long time. And uh, my wife and I were talking one day, and my wife says, I know what we can do with her. She said, let's take her to a woman's recovery house and have those women, uh, you know, get her well. And we went and pulled her out of this uh, psychiatric uh, hospital thing and took her over there to this woman's recovery house. And these women loved uh, my mother back to health again, you know girls, ladies with uh, one week and three days in a month and they love my mother back to being well. My mother has never drank and uh, since she had her last drink and uh, she's, she'll never take another pill again. I know that, but <laughs> my mother doesn't go to Alcoholics Anonymous meetings. But I know what happens to people when they don't go to Alcoholics Anonymous meetings. I don't know whether she'll ever drink or whatever again, but I know she's worried about... Uh, the radiation or paying her gas bill and she's just worried about everything and I just don't want to live that way you know and for me I have to have the food that is here the life that is given to me I need your help and your support in my living and we all need each other we have to go in unity you know that's what this is all about that's why we meet on these conferences and go to meetings to have each other's support to take the weight off our shoulder when I know things are too damn heavy out there and I go to a meeting and I'm just all uptight and I walk in and start talking to other people and I realize, man, I got it made, you know, and uh, that's just the way it is. Well, anyway, I've got to quit talking, but, uh, you know, uh, the person I was willing to give up, uh, uh, my wife that I've loved so much, uh, we've been able to share this program together. I don't know of any couple that I know that has a life like we have and that is in in love as we are and able to do this thing and love Alcoholics Anonymous like we do. Uh, It's our life. Uh, Our phone is ringing day and night, you know. Uh, We got five phones in our house now. I was worried about paying the bill on one. Uh, You know, uh, I guess I should tell you too, real quick that uh, I I ended up working as a cook for a long time, and uh, my first sponsor was a, a painter. And uh, he worked on uh, just, you know, 8 to 4 or whatever every day and had weekends and nights off. And I was a cook working weekends and nights and full of self-pity, and, and uh, things were real heavy. And anyway, uh, one day he told me that if I wanted to uh, learn how to paint, he'd teach me how to paint. And I said, God, I sure would, you know and uh it was rough man I you know I had to do a lot of physical work and it was rough but I worked with him for about three months and I learned a little bit about painting and one day he said well that's the end of our work I don't have any more jobs and I said you're kidding man I got a wife my kids by this time and uh as it turned out I went and I got another civil service job and I went back as a cook and uh and I I was doing that and uh I uh, I worked as a cook, and we have, when you work civil service, you know, you have a lot of time off. And I started painting the little uh, old lady's uh, bathroom next door on my, uh, for a little extra money. We needed all the money we could. Uh, we didn't have any money. And, uh, you know, uh, one day I, I came home and we were broke. My wife was working graveyards as a, as a waitress. And I came home in the afternoon and she was laying on the bed taking a nap. And I come running in and I said, Hey, I got $200. I said, This lady wants me to paint her house. She gave me two hundred dollars to start the job. And uh, I laid on the bed that afternoon with my wife and, and we just talked about the miracles, that how things happen. If we just keep trudging on, things happen in Alcoholics Anonymous. And that day my wife uh, says, you know, I think God wants you to be a painter. I had about a month's work then. Plus I had this civil service job that, uh, you know, nobody ever quits a civil service job. That's security, you know. I had these children and everything, and that day uh, we made a decision, and I quit that civil service job and started painting, and I've been painting for years. I worked for nine years and never advertised. I ended up having men work for me, and uh, I just did uh, what I was supposed to do. You know, if you're a painter, well, you paint behind the toilet. You know, if you don't, well, you don't get called back or referred, and (laughs) I just started doing those things. And, you know, the time come, I started feeling guilty because I didn't have a license, and uh, I had to start going to school, and uh, I finally, I uh, became a state-licensed painting contractor, and today I have uh, several, several men working for me. Uh, I uh, do real big jobs. I do any size jobs, and it's just, it's unbelievable, you know. There's no way to get from that rescue mission to here, other than Alcoholics Anonymous that I know of, you know. The life that I've got with my wife, uh, my three kids, my stepson and my uh, my daughter and my son are all members of Alcoholics Anonymous today. They've been in and out, but today they're all in. And, you know, maybe they'll stay and maybe they won't. But I have to know that they're in God, God's hands also and to let them live their own life and to uh, follow their own journey. Uh, we've, uh, I'm going to quit now. Uh, my wife and I will be married 25 years Monday. It's our anniversary, silver anniversary. This is a real treat for you people to have us here. It's uh, given us time to to get away from our fast pace and to be alone and to enjoy all this beauty here in the state. And, uh, you know, it's beautiful. Our life's good. We were married 24 years. Last June, we were married 24 years uh, and bought our first house. You know, she always jokes and says, well, we didn't know if we were really going to stick together. We were incapable of buying our own home, and I always thought when we bought our first house that we were going to, you know, I knew it was not going to be good enough for for us to live in. It was going to be a real doghouse, you know. And uh, miracles happen in this program. Glory went in to find out about renting a house one day, and a lady said, Why don't you buy it? And uh, we said, We couldn't buy that house. As it turned out, she owned the house, and we bought the house. We live down by the water at a marina now, beautiful section. It's high house payments, but I guess, uh, I figured, I guess God's going to give me the money to pay them, you know. (laughs) We've been there, uh, it'll be a year in June, and uh, we're able to do it. And uh, we have a good life today, and our kids are all grown up and gone. And, uh, you know, we have a little dog at home that we're real worried about this weekend. But... (laughs) I know Dave said when he left when we were riding up he picked us up the other morning he says well I said my dog was there he says he, th- he thought I was going to work <laughs> but you know I want to I just want to thank uh, Alcoholics Anonymous and my God for for making it possible for me to be the human being that I was made to be and that, that uh, I've always wanted to be when I was younger just to be a good father a good husband a good man and just a man with uh, some kind of standards and some kind of ethics and some kind of principles, you know, that you people in this program has given me. Thank you.